millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. We are... Where are we? We are... We're here. Well, no, I'm here and you're there. Wherever there is. But there, as far as you're concerned, is here. But it's not the same here that's my here. Because otherwise this would be a very, very crowded studio. You wouldn't all fit. Basically, that would be the main problem. I wouldn't have any huge issue with it, but you just wouldn't fit in this room. It would be it would be a bit of a squash, a sardine situation going on. And nobody needs to be a sardine. If you were going to be a fish of some kind, you know, you'd be uh, like a killer whale, an orca, or a barracuda, or something. Not one of those crap fishes that swims around in shoals and then gets pushed to the surface. So not only do you get eaten by the big fish that are pushing you up, you get eaten by the fucking, by the birds that, you know, dive bomb into the water and they get the fish at the top and the, the big fish get the fish at the bottom and then there's about three of these little Nemo fuckers left and they go off and, you know, make fish love together and make another big shoal and then they all get eaten. It is, of course, the circle of life. That's what I'm talking about. Is there a thing called a lionfish? Could there be a lionfish king? I don't know. I think I've taken this just a bit too far. I feel like I should Google that now. Lionfish. Is there a thing called a li- There is a thing called a lionfish, and it's venomous. It's also called the zebrafish, the firefish, the turkeyfish, tastyfish, or butterfly cod. What? I think somebody's been playing around with Wikipedia here, but that's what it says right in front of me. Lionfish. It looks sort of like, you know, you know the fish that Homer ate the bit of in the sushi restaurant in The Simpsons and then they thought he was going to die and he didn't die. Well, he didn't die, obviously, because, you know, he's still alive 25 years later or whatever it is. Homer is still alive. So, what the fuck is going on here? Well, the season is over. And we have had a few days, a little while, to come to terms with where we finished in the table. I still don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, But that's something we might say for our discussion. Um, And we're in this weird, strange place now where the season is over for pretty much everybody else. But we've got two weeks just over, just under two weeks before the Europa League final, which takes place in Baku in Azerbaijan. And so much depends on that game. There's so much resting on it uh, for what we need to do this summer and for what we will be doing next year in terms of the football we'll be playing, the Champions League or not Champions League. 
I mean, I hope we are. It is this weird thing, isn't it? Where, you know, we don't really have a, a, a realistic chance of winning the Champions League. It's not impossible as events this season have shown us that, you know, you can be absolute shit cunts and, you know, uh, be on the verge of doing it. But that's a, that's a different thing altogether. You, you know, but realistically, we don't have a chance of winning the Champions League. But we all want to be back in the Champions League. And if we get there, it will be because we've won the European trophy that we're best suited and, and most capable of winning. Um, but I don't think I would like another Europa League campaign. I've, you know, sort of had my fill of the Europa League now. The, the Thursday-Sunday thing, that gets old very, very quickly. It means you don't really play any games on a Saturday, and I know that that's true of of many other teams, but in general, we haven't had too many Saturday games this season, and you kind of miss those a bit. Uh, sorry, my voice broke in the, in the middle of that sentence. And, you know, the quality of the opposition and, and everything else, it is just not really a fun competition now if we win of course on may 29th against chelsea it will be very very fun indeed i'm not saying that that won't be a fun thing but you know over the course of a season it's not much fun i don't think and i'm ready to be back in the champions league again so we can go out in the round of 16 but you know as a as a building block uh, and as a, a way of increasing the revenue that this club is going to take in and hopefully then reinvest in the squad. Stop laughing. Stop it. We are. We do. That's our whole point, isn't it? We spend the money we make. So the more money we make, the more money we have to spend on, you know, players and things. You know, good players. Maybe not good players. Better players. Maybe that's where the bar should be. Better players. But between now and May 29th, there's just going to be a lot of talk about Baku and Azerbaijan and Henrik Mkhitaryan and the fact that the game is being played there at all because of how few uh, fans are going to be there from from both clubs. Uh, I think they've probably fucked it as a spectacle. Um, You know, we all know this, but it doesn't mean the game isn't going to take place and take place there. It is, and we have got... A lot riding on that game. So we'll talk a bit about that in our discussion as well. Um, And I think we should get on with that now. And with me uh, tonight to chat about the season as a whole, to chat about where we finished and looking ahead to the final, looking ahead to the future and what we've got to do this summer. I'm delighted to welcome to the show. First up, the man from East Lower. Hello to you. Hello. And uh, you will listen to him. If you listen to the Arsenal Vision podcast, you will hear Clive Palmer on there uh, every week. Well, most weeks anyway. Clive, nice to have you. Hello, hello. Nice to be on. Right, Jim, can I start with you? Because uh, I was uh, in the, doing my uh, scant bit of research um, f- before this uh, recording, and I remembered that um, you you did blog a little bit um, yeah. <laughs> this season. Not very much, but a little bit. And your last blog is quite interesting in that you went through our away games yeah. And you you rated them in terms of uh, a banana skin rating each. So Everton had a three, Wolves had a four, Leicester had a four, Burnley had a three. I, I think looking at it now, the thing that strikes me is there was nothing about the home games in no. there. And I think that maybe told us a little bit about what we thought Arsenal were going to do in those home games. And if you think about what happened against Crystal Palace and against Brighton and where we ended up, uh, it, it does make it put, make, make, makes my teeth go on edge a little bit. So 
just in terms of uh, where we ended up and how we ended up with a few days of reflection, how are you feeling about it? Um, well, it was very frustrating at the time. And, you know, I was only partly tongue in cheek when I was going on about the banana skins because they really were banana skins. And, and we pretty much did trip up on three of the five. But like you say, we also lost the two home games, which I, did, I just really didn't see that coming. So it ended really badly. Um, but I do think, I do think that um, you know, with with the Europa League, but also with what you know, just the general positioning we were before, then um, then may, maybe you can look at it in a slightly more broad way, and it isn't quite so. I mean, horribly frustrating though it is and was. Um, you know, maybe that it's not the only the only thing to dwell on. Yeah, no, sure, I get that. But can you separate your and I think probably everybody was in this boat where pre-season, if you'd said we'd finish fifth and a point off fourth, you'd go, yeah, I could see how that would happen, but I'm finding it difficult to separate that it happened from the, 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 the context or the circumstances in which it happened. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. But I, but I do think, yeah, and again, spinning the positives here. I do, I do think that it all collapsed at the end. But, um, but I, I think it was always going to be a season where he was trying to, Emery was trying to work stuff out, uh, where he was trying to try different things. He was going to try different things. He was going to see what the players could give him and what they couldn't. And I'm not sure that um, we really could have expected much more. I know, I know that the, the the collapse at the end was means we could have expected much more. But I, I still maintain that it was always going to be a, a year where things went right and things went wrong, and and it was an, a, a lot of trial and error going on. So I prefer to look at it that way than to to dwell on the what was quite frankly the collapse mm. at the end. The what might have been, Clive? How are you feeling about it? You know, same questions to you. Yeah, I'm. I'm as disappointed as anybody, really. I, I because I think also the opportunity was there, and I think post a World Cup year, a lot of our sort of top six opponents had a lot more players playing in semi-finals and finals, and I always thought they would come back to us. And when, uh, particularly Spurs, when Kane got injured the first time round, just after sort of January time, I was thinking, right, this is it. Then Spurs went and won four on the trot, two late goals right at the end against Fulham, for example. And, mm. and Son turned up. And I think, OK, this isn't going to plan. But then they collapsed. But then then everyone else collapsed. In the, you know, the, the bottom four of the top six, everybody sort of hit a wall at the same time. And I sort of always bring that back to the European draws. I think our Europa League draw was, was, was pretty tough. Spurs had some very tough Champions League draws, obviously historic for them. And I just don't think, as a four, we managed that very well. And I just think we had an opportunity. And I think if we had a slightly easier Europa League draw, I think we would have focused on them home games a lot more, it's particularly Crystal Palace. And in hindsight, those points were crucial. But there's also another side to it. If we'd got those points, maybe the other teams would have reacted. They reacted to us dropping points, and there wasn't the, the need for them to gain, to gain more points than us. So I do think it just feels like a missed opportunity to me, Andrew. I just, um, it's particularly because I, I just felt that we had we had a lot of players in the summer that were here with us. We had a chance to integrate in the squad. We had some moments of high points and we had some full storms. 
but we just need to win our home games when it comes down to it. And if we had done that, Crystal Palace and Brighton, mm. it'd be a diff- different conversation. Yeah, you know, I think we were asked on the Arscast Extra which game was the most damaging, and I have to say, I think the Palace game, even though Brighton, yeah. you know, was was eminently winnable and and everything else, but I think the way we threw the Brighton game away really informed the rest of our our little run there. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, to me, it feels like a massive missed opportunity, and I I would feel, and I'm sure you and Jim would both feel much happier going into a Europa League final uh, with. Champions League football for next season secured um, and it's this weird situation we're in now where that's still possible and and so so much of how we view this season Clive is going to depend on what happens in Baku isn't it because if we if we win we, we're going to celebrate like crazy because we're going to win a European trophy for the first time in 25 years and we're going to celebrate like crazy because we're going to be in the Champions League next season. And it's not simply being in the Champions League. It's all the associated things that go with that in terms of how you're perceived as a club, your stature, your revenue, what it might allow you to do in the transfer market, the, the kind of players you might attract or be able, uh, you can, uh, you're, you're able to afford. Um, and we won't look back on that run-in, as awful as it was, uh, in the same way as if the worst happens in Baku and we don't win. So there's like a huge yeah. amount. I can't remember so much riding on a single game for for a long time. You know, maybe the, the, the whole, the two, the FA Cup semifinal against Wigan and then the final against Hull. Maybe it's equivalent to that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it is as big as I can remember. Even going back to Paris in 2006, that was like an exclamation point on a unbelievable era, right? And the best Arsenal team we've probably ever seen. Yeah. And and that was the game where we thought, okay, are we the best in Europe? And I firmly believe we would have been if we weren't, say, the 11 men. But that was a moment in time. All the other European finals were just, they were, they were days out. They were days out, and uh, I was there in Copenhagen, and trust me, the good couple of days out <laughs> that I barely remember, right? So, but I never thought back then that would be the last time we won the European trophy. And I do think, as a club, we have massively underachieved in Europe for the size of club that we actually are. And I think if we could choose, or the club could choose, a route to the Champions League for our sort of global visibility and our position at the European top table, given all the conversations around European Super Leagues, this is the route they would probably choose. Financially, it probably didn't stack up quite the same due to the percentile of the Champions League money that we will get mm. if we're the fifth team in the tournament. But I feel from a from a club perspective and you know more than anybody, Andrew, how global our fan base is. Yeah. I think it'll be absolutely huge for everybody. And I think we just I watched the uh, Derby game versus um, Leeds and that was a hundred and seventy million pound game, they reckon, on average. This is probably a a hundred million pound game, six million pound game for transfer yeah. budget, but you think of all the other revenues that will come in come on board who've got to Champions League, you could be talking this is a hundred million pound game. You literally could be, and I don't think in our recent history, there's been a bigger game since probably Paris from a purely win the Champions League perspective. So I do think it's absolutely massive for everything the club stands for, but also bringing it in, into a narrower view 
for the manager really and, and him regaining trust with the fan base and the potentially the board to support him, whatever that board looks like. I said that term loosely. And basically that's what we're that's what I'm hoping for. Because if he wins this, he buys himself a year. And he buys himself a good year because you know we're quite an impatient bunch. So I think for stability and serenity on the longer and hopefully a new pathway, I really, really hope he wins it. Yeah, well, I yeah, well, I think we all do, um, Jim. I mean, what would your perception be of him if we didn't? And I'm throwing this out as a hypothetical, of course, not as something that anybody wants to see happen. But you know, if we were to have achieved top four and we didn't quite make it in the European final, you know, you've got that safety net that bit of a cushion um and everything now rests on this game in terms of how emery's first season is perceived because if he wins it i mean he's 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 going to do something that arson wenger couldn't do in all the time that he spent at the club and that's win a european trophy but if he loses it he's going to be the guy who threw away that brilliant chance to get into the top four it might be a little unfair i don't know if you would say that was unfair or not to be judged so harshly or so um uh what's the opposite of harshly or so well i guess um on the outcome of one game but like it is it is monstrous in terms of importance yeah it is clive's absolutely right it's like the playoff final but but it's all with bells on and i think also uh, you know i think the, the point about our european pedigree is really valid we we are yeah, for, for, we haven't done very well in Europe in our history. And so you could almost say, unfortunately, we look at the Europa League through the prism of getting into the Champions League. But actually, in itself, I know the Thursday-Sunday routine is pretty grim mm. and it, screw, it screws with the whole of our routine. And I really think that is also a factor. But you know, just to win a European trophy would mean a lot for this club. So you know, that's without the Champions League sort of bolted on the end. Um, but in terms of Emery, I, I mean... I've always been of the mind that he needed two years before you properly judged him. I think to kind of come, even if we fell short, uh, fall short in Baku, to me, it feels way too knee-jerk uh, and, you know, to, to say, right, over to the next man. It, there's so much work to do. And I think he all, would all, you could always look at it, I mean, massive, through massively positive light, that he came desperately close in, you know, to the top four, to the Champions League through the top four, but also in you know, losing a European final. And I, th- I think... That, given the transition year, given how much work needs to happen on this squad, given 22 years of Arsene Wenger, uh, you know, where some habits are you know, really hard to shift, I think would be not a bad season. And it, it would be immensely frustrating, but I think he'd, he'd merit um, uh, another year to, to see what he can do and, you know, and then judge him after that. that that's the way I've always looked at it and I haven't changed my mind. Mm. Clive, where would you stand on that? I mean, what, a year, I mean... When you step back and step back and look at things objectively and rationally, which is not always easy because we're so invested in this emotionally, you would say that you know the guy who comes in after a 22-year legacy manager is going to need time to uh, you know to properly assess his squad and and what kind of a club he's in and who his players are and what they can do and who he likes and who he doesn't like or who he can trust and and who he doesn't trust. So uh, at least another. 12 months make sense on that level so you know regardless of what happens in Baku is that where is that where you would stand on that or does it leave too much of a mark on him you know to to have seen to have failed to get us into the top four based on the position we were in you know with with five or six games to go if not necessarily what people's expectations were at the start of the season and then to have followed that up with you know losing in a final 
I think we were always the fourth or fifth strongest squad, really. And we had a little sneaky look at third for a little while. But we, none of us, let's be honest, we weren't convinced. None of us were. We know that we're a little bit... You know, a little bit flaky when it when the pressure really hits. That hasn't changed yet because the, the playing culture hasn't really changed. I think Jim's right. He, we started the year post Avenger generational manager. We started the year thinking, okay, this guy two years into the top four. Then that narrative suddenly changed. Well, suddenly it's one year. Well, when, when did that happen? I don't remember when that changed. But we had the big run. And then we obviously we started to get a little bit more encouraged about how competitive we were, particularly in the top six games, which hasn't been there in previous years. And then suddenly, suddenly we are looking at an opportunity this year, and I hope you know, hopefully it will end up correct. But it, for me, it was always a year of discovery in the first year. I read somewhere that he's used more squad members than any other team in the Premier League, so he has tried manfully to to find the right mix to discover what players are really worth I mean I wish he hadn't quite discovered Carl Jenkinson versus Crystal Palace but he <laughs> felt he had to do that and based on how Maitland-Niles played against Everton when he was tired I can probably see why with European game around the corner so there were some decisions that were questionable but when you're a manager that absolutely makes lots of decisions every single week your decisions are going to be questioned when you don't get them right. And I think that's where the issue is, Andrew. I think people are desperate to look at this manager and look at this team and say, what are they? What do they represent? What is their style? And I'm a big believer in, okay, let's have a look at what he can do with this squad, which we all know is not where it should be. How can he manipulate to get us to be more competitive? And I think he's done that. So I think there has been an improvement this year, but I think we're sort of, many of us are obsessed with seeing a particular style every week when I actually think his style is flexibility and having the ability to change in-game and for another game next week. And I think, I know you're going to come on to that later on, but I think as we look to rebuild his squad, we should bear that in mind. How the manager coaches, how he approaches each individual game, and then has he the tools to actually implement a flexible tactical style on each particular match. So let me just follow up on that because something occurs to me while you're talking about it. If that is his style, this flexible uh, style, rather than being wedded to one base formation, which, you know, I have to say, my preference would be for for this team to be able to or to have a platform at least uh, on which to base the flexibility i feel like there's a, an element of confusion about some of our performances which um which may or may not be down to the manager it may be down to the players so is it a question of having players who are more flexible because we do seem to have a number who who aren't really that flexible at all like um uh, this isn't to uh, to, to, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. This <laughs> isn't to pick on him in any way, but Mesut Ozil, for example, fits into a football team in a very in a very specific way, and it's not often the way that Unai Emery sets up his football team, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you two words there: platform and Ozil. Right? Yeah. So, platform. We 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 don't quite have it, do we? No. no matter what we're trying to do, 
if you if you turn around and, and your centre defender is watching people run past him while he's trying to blame the goalkeeper, you have no platform. You can't see a style develop. You can't see a performance develop because you're letting shots go into your back door, right? So, um, and then you have a situation. You know, I've been looking at a lot of statistical season summaries, and we're talking about the amount of shots that we have. I believe we've had like the eleventh. I think we're eleventh in the table when it comes to shots on goal. And then we look at you know, our chance creation, and you say to yourself, "Okay, in attacking midfield, we got we got a couple of thirty-year-olds that are earning over half a million pound a week. Are they really working for us? Are they really creating for us? Are we asking our top two to create and score?" And so there are fundamental issues within the culture of the team that we need to address this summer, and there are fundamental issues with the word platform. Can we get some defensive stability within the team, which allows us to see what we're really about going forward? And I think it's something that we have to be really brave about and really address. We all know it. We may not always say it or want to say it online for for fear of the abuse we get, but we cannot continually allow the club to be defined by pillars within the squad which are basically players that play when it suits them and plays in a style that suits them when I feel the manager wants to move to more flexible, tactical, collective, collaborative style. And I think the sooner we grasp that, the sooner we'll start to progress. Jim, just on that, in terms of what Clive has just said, I mean, do you think there is enough ruthlessness within Emery to make those big decisions because he is talking about big decisions right there about players who who might well be moved on leaving aside how difficult it might well be to move players on who who are on very healthy contracts and would need to be uh, what's the best way to put this highly incentivized uh, to be to <laughs> to take their footballing skills elsewhere um you know, do you feel like that's within his wheelhouse? I mean, we don't really know him that well yet. So um, th- this summer could well be the summer or the period where we get to know Unai Emery better, whether that's better or for worse. I, I think he has to be. I, I think he, it, we, you know, we, Wenger had time on his hands because he won so much to, to get things a little bit wrong for a few seasons. Emery doesn't have that. Luxury. If he doesn't get us in the Champions League, uh, in, you know, next season, I think he's gone. Mm. And so, uh, on that basis, he his job is on the line. If he doesn't, if he if he is not this this summer is so is so crucial that his job is on the line. If he doesn't achieve that next, uh, you know, I'm convinced of that. And so he has to be ruthless if he wants, you know, if if he if he wants to keep his job, which of course he will. He's um, you know, anyone who's working at that level is hugely ambitious and and wants to win and, and achieve things. So. I think he, uh, you know, he has to be. Um, otherwise, um, you look back at it and think, well, what if? But I think that that's why it could be quite an interesting, um, quite an interesting, interesting summer. He has to, he has to, you know, wield wield the axe. Yes, I, I think he does. And we're going to talk a, in a while just about what we might do this summer and how we might do it. Um, but I'll stick with you, Jim. And and I just wanted to ask both of you uh, a question that if you were to look at this season overall, you know, bearing in mind, of course, that we still have the Europe, Europa League final and still have a, 
a major chance uh, for a successful end to to this season. What would be your major positive from Unai Emery's first season in charge? What's the one thing above all that you would say, yeah, that's that's something we we can really get hold of. That is a green shoot that I'm looking forward to seeing more of next year. I think overall we were more, you know, overall we were more competitive. And, yeah. uh, and and by 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 that I mean that we we obviously we we went a step further than Wenger did in the Europa League last season. But more than that, there was something to play for in the league, right up until the bitter end. And I know it was a bitter end, Very but bitter. the fact that there was something to play for to me says that there has been improvements there, and that that made it more exciting as a as a season ticket holder. It made it more exciting, you know, in the last six weeks of the season to actually be uh, not going through the motions and. Okay, it didn't end well, but I think I was quite heartened by the fact that um, that that we were there until the bitter end. And you know, wh- whether it whether it turns out in the right way or not, uh, at least at least that is an improvement on last year. Clive, for you, what was what's the one positive if you had to pick one that you you would you would go with? Well, I, I agree with Jim there. I feel the badge has got a little bit bigger. I think we were a bit smaller and a bit weak. We still have that tendency, but I, I do like the competitive nature. And I think a lot of that competitive nature was, was manifested in, particularly with one new player, really. I, I, I do feel the addition of Torreira gave me a, a little bit of hope to how we can play, how competitive we can be. And I, I think, you know, I do feel that the fans want to want to love something again on the pitch I think the previous years I'm sure you'd agree Jim that within the stadium it's been very very toxic and mm-hmm. everyone it's all been about hate really and division and um, and that's gone away a little bit this year I'm, I'm, I don't go every week but I go at least you know to 10 games or so a season and um, and I've enjoyed them all I've really enjoyed them all, even the ones that we lost. You know, uh, I felt the atmosphere has been more positive. And I think for seeing players compete on the pitch more regularly and more often, even though you know, we may have only scored you know, seven or more goals or, or you know, got seven or more points, it felt competitive. You know, it, and I think people like Torreira coming in and, and watching the the flowering of the of the top two that, that for me, has been uh, the real highlight, really, and, uh, and I hope that continues into uh, next season. Mm, just to sort of, you know, I, I would say our our competitiveness against the top six was really encouraging for me because, you know, it is a big issue. Worryingly, you know, we weren't uh, as good against the smaller teams and whether that's something to do with the, the quirk of the fixtures or whatever it might be, whether it's something to do with Emery or his approach to those games, which I, which I think it might be, but certainly for me, a big positive was how good we were in those in those games. And, you know, when your final game of the season is... Uh, a European final against Chelsea, a Chelsea team that you've beaten and shouldn't have lost to in the other game, then that that does give you some hope. Um, Clive, I've got to ask you, you know, conversely, is there one thing that you think is a a real negative from the season that you you feel like either as a club we have to address or Emery has to address or, or a certain player has to address? I think, apart from the obvious games, apart from the ones that we've already spoke to, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> Crystal Palace and Brighton, they come to mind. I think we're turning a new page, right, within the club. And remember last year when we, we Ivan presented us this new team behind the team? Yeah. Well, that changed, didn't it? That changed. And I think 
what changed then? We we had a we had a bit of a void of communication, Andrew. You know, there's been no there's been no real noises coming from within the club, and I think Emery is um, he's not the best communicator. So, and then obviously Raul and Vinny don't seem to be taking their front foot to communicate. You know, our, our owner, his nickname is Silent, so work that one out for yourself. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's just nothing coming out from the club. And what that does, that creates a void, and that creates a fan void. And we, and we feel that. We feel that up. And I, I do feel if we want to mature and, and, and grow up and reestablish ourselves, it doesn't have to be a secret. We can talk to people about it. We can say what we want to achieve. Okay, when we say we're going to be as big as Bayern Munich, it can be held against you. But at least try to create a common goal and a common vision and an ambition about where we want to be. But then follow it with actions. At the moment, all we know about is we're going through a cost-cutting phase. We know that we went to January and we had issues with two defenders being out for a season and one attacker being out for a season. But we decided to add an attacking midfielder into the squad. Then that doesn't look smart. So as we, as we lurch towards the summer, where is the confidence about what we want to do? So none of us can be confident because we just don't know and we can't quite trust. So I think that's the key thing, to build trust again. Communicate is part of that. And I think that's, that's the biggest failing for me this season. There's an opportunity to really turn the page and we sort of fudged it lost some people, yeah. power struggles internally, and we haven't quite delivered on that promise we felt when the new team behind the team was actually being introduced last summer. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Uh, you know, Wenger was always the figurehead of the club. Whether you liked him, loved him, hated him, or were indifferent to him, there's no question that when it came to Arsenal, Wenger was the the point of contact for everybody yeah. media fans players whatever it was you know he was so synonymous with the club and it was his message that that w- was transmitted to everybody again whether you liked it or not it was there and now i feel uh, and have felt for for some time that um that's missing and uh, it's an important part of of how you run a football club um you know sometimes you know i'm not saying for one second here that i want to be uh, sitting listening to ivan gazidis every week talking about the shit that You're he mate. talked about you know <laughs> nobody nobody needs to hear that but you know it, it feels like they kind of fudge that a bit because we have this job share ceo thing going on and uh, you know emery is learning a new language um and from people i've spoken to you know in spanish is obviously uh, a much better communicator but still not the sort of charismatic figurehead that you you need associated with a club you know i think um i think that's uh, that's a great point and maybe something that has to be addressed maybe edu can be that man um jim for you where would you look uh, at the last season gone as as a negative and something you'd really like uh, to see addressed yeah. Well, um, so from a sort of off the field uh, look at it, which is Clive's really, I'm going to go onto the onto the onto the pitch and think. Uh, I really do think that I, I expected a bit more defensive solidity, mm-hmm. and on the basis that you know um, defence is you know the first form of attack. I, I and you also had three new defenders. Uh, I expected more, and I think he's. You know, with all the caveats about players being injured and what have you, I think we've been way too easy to break down at the back. Uh, it's been changing, chopping, changing too much. And yeah, you know, with eight clean sheets out of what thirty-eight, 
it's really not good. Um, and I expected a bit more there. In, in fact, we've ended up, I think, letting in the same amount of goals as, as last year. And I think you're not going to get anywhere if you don't start defending better, whether, whoever you've got um, you know, on your wings or up front. It's so I, I do think that has got to be a huge priority for next season. And, and he needs to prove that he knows what to do to tighten up a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, just sticking with you, Jim, um, and I'll let Clive back in on this now in a second, but, you know, we talk about defence and we talk almost exclusively about our defenders and some of the defenders come in for a huge amount of stick and I can understand that and I think many people listening to this will understand that. But, you know, it isn't just the job of the defence to help keep a clean sheet. You know, there's a way you can organise your team um, to protect a relatively um, subpar bunch of defenders. You can do more to make their lives easier. You know, you look at uh, how impressive Bernd Leno was this season, but, uh, you know, as impressed as I have been, I hope we don't see the same from him in terms of the sheer quantity of shots that he has had to save. And, you know, the defenders will take a lot of stick, but I also think we've got to look a little bit further forward in that, you know, how many times have we spoken on this podcast about, well, you know, if we really had a functioning central midfield that could protect the back four, that would go a long way to making us more defensively secure. And I thought at the start of the season, I thought we had that. And for me, that ties in with your general disappointment about our defending, is that we haven't quite figured that out either. Um, and, and we did chop and change quite a lot during the course of the season in midfield. Yeah, I agree. I think you defend as a team. I think you know, it's so getting so nuanced tactically and strategically football now um, that there's a way, you know, an awful lot more to it than just your central defender making a mistake. Although obviously we had a lot of that. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, so yeah, he, he's got he's got to work that out. And, and whether I don't think we are quite powerful enough in central midfield, uh, in, not just powerful enough, but uh, aware enough, defensively aware enough. And um, that's a, another area he has to tackle but I think you know if we, if we let him 51 goals I don't know what the target would be but obviously a lot less than that and uh, you know even if you only let 10 fewer goals in you, you, you're onto something so um, I think that's a huge huge area to, to improve uh, and like you say not just not just talking about well let's buy a central defender and that's fine because it's not it's really not that straightforward so there's a lot of work to do there. There is. I mean, Clive, when you when you have an attack that has functioned as well as ours and, and has blossomed over the course of the season with Aubameyang and Lacazette, who have really shouldered a huge amount of the, the goal-scoring burden because very few other players were scoring goals in this team throughout this season, it really is incumbent on uh, on the the other parts of the team to support them properly in terms yeah. of what we... What we give them as a platform, there's that word again, but, you know, a defensive platform on which to build attacking football. And we haven't had that. And I think that in some ways ties into this lack of style and this lack of identity. You know, it's very difficult to build play uh, when you're all over the place at the back. And I'm just curious as to your thoughts on the midfield role in this, because... When we look at the the three players, I suppose, who played in central midfield the most, Torreira, Gendouzi and Granite Xhaka. Torreira and Gendouzi are young players. They were 19 and 22 when the season started, both of them in their first season uh, in English football. 
there was, I suppose, a, a large measure of responsibility on Xhaka as one of Emery's five captains and a player yep. heading into his third season to show, okay, I can be the guy that works alongside these two. You know, I can play with Ganduzi or I can play with Torreira or the three of us can play together. You know, I can put behind me some of the issues and the flaws in my game, which were still relatively, um, not, if not understandable, you know, 24, 25, you're still kind of learning your trade. Once you sort of hit 26 and you're in your third season at a club, you want to be cutting out the kind of mistakes that have um, littered Xhaka's game. So I think for me, that's that's been the disappointment in midfield that he hasn't been able to necessarily carry um, the responsibility that you would expect and that he was, I think, in some ways, handed. Yeah, I think... Shaq has been somebody that we've that we've needed, and um, he's he's offered a sense of direction, control, and and leadership on the pitch. But we all know he's a, he's got mistakes in him, and we all know he's not very athletic. And I think what's happening in the modern game is that it's getting faster. The pace is getting quicker. It's becoming more intense. Your ability not just to run kilometres, but to run repeat sprints, short distances, to get to the ball, to control the game state. Now, I think this is our biggest weakness. When the game gets really intense, we struggle to control it. It's quite interesting watching other teams putting their, their best runners against us. What they're telling us they're putting their quickest, fastest, strongest runners because we can't match them when they turn it up. We can't. And Leicester's a great example of that, and Wolves did exactly the same. We can't match their pace. We can't match their intensity. We can't. We can't get control. When we can't get control, then our weaker points of our team become exposed, which is our central defence. What teams do is they disconnect us from our top two. And we can't regain control. Our top two are world class. We know that. On occasion, our attacking midfielder can be can be very good, whether it be Ramsey or Urzel or Mkhitaryan or Iwobi. But put them in a mix with the three you mentioned. For me, it's a problem. Obviously, Ramsey's going. Mkhitaryan and Urzel are both 30. They don't separate from their man. They don't create as many chances as they used to. Hence, our shot volume is down. They're not stopping people running through us. Hence, we're still conceding shots. So I always look at a team, Andrew, I say you have an exterior part of your team, which is your strikers and, and your goalkeeper and maybe your wing backs. The exterior part of our team is not too bad. Our wing backs create... Our goalkeeper's decent, and our strikers we all know about. But the interior, the, you know, the key defenders, mm. the central midfielders, and our attacking midfield, that's where the problem lies. And that's what we need to address in the summer. We need to create some intensity, speed, and threat attacking-wise in midfield. And we need to have less joggers at the base of our team. So we have Elneny, Gwenduzi, and Shaka, three joggers. Two of them got to go right they, they've got to go or we've got to they, they better last start speeding up right so and so Grandizi is a very well thought of 20 year old in Europe he's going nowhere the other two maybe they've got to go if we want to progress they've got to go and then he will probably be going to Bordeaux this summer but Shaka now is a question do we do it now or do we keep him in the squad to help direct some of the younger players that will be coming in for another year he's got a good contract there's no rush but I think we all know if we want to progress as a group we need to speed up and he's a pivotal player and we need something quicker more aggressive 
much faster, can carry the ball and offer threat to other people's teams, but protect us. we got to have our best teams that we all remember. They protected our defence, and it's just not happening today. right? So forget the fact that we've got aged defenders or kamikaze defenders or defenders that are too young. So we need to improve that group. Yeah. But when before they get there, it's an easy pathway through to them, isn't it? It's an easy sure. path. Yeah, and you know, it takes one pass over the top to open us up, and as soon as we're turned and running backwards, we're 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 doomed. Basically, you know, I think Torreira showed this season that when the play is coming towards him and he's head on towards it, he can he can win a lot of tackles and make a lot of interceptions, and that gets us going again. But I think you're right. You know, Xhaka, there's a there's a decision to be made there for me because he does have years on his contract, and he is somebody who could generate a certain amount of of income if we sell him. Um, um, particularly if, as we, we talked about earlier, we might have to incentivize some other players to go. Jim, where would you stand on on Xhaka as somebody who could be um, a departure this summer? Because you look around the team and there are much more obvious uh, departures in it, and we can all see who, who those players are. But as somebody who might raise a, a bit of revenue that could be reinvested back in the team, you know, we could go out and buy a player of a you know the same age who could take on that responsibility in midfield with some of those younger midfielders. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, if if we can get back what we paid for him, thirty five was it? I think. Mm, I don't know million. if we'll do that. But. Yeah. Well, yeah, you never know. He's you know, like you say, he's got a long contract and um, he has his attributes. Perhaps uh, not. I just think if you look at, as Clive said, if you look at what Terrera, Terrera seems to fit more in the vision, as you know, such as we know it. Of Emery, but certainly in in the way football is going in this country, uh, you know the, the kind of speed and stuff, and and Jacko maybe less so. So, uh, and he cost roughly the same. So it's not impossible to get somebody uh, a like for like in terms of you know, financially a like for like player. Um, and if that you know I, uh, he's got a good long long range pass. He does the odd great thing, but I'm you know I'm not wedded to him in any <laughs> any sense of the matter. Quite quite a few of these players, I'd be. Um, I wouldn't say happy to see them out the door, but you know, I, w- I wouldn't be fast. You wouldn't be shedding too uh, many tears, yeah. No, uh, no, I wouldn't. Be, I wouldn't be fast if he, if, if they'd moved on Shaka. He's three years. He he is what he is. He's probably not going to get a lot better. And so you know, if if the opportunity comes and there's someone who's good enough to replace him comes in, I'm you know, I think I think we have to you know, go back to the point about being ruthless. I think it has to be done. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends what what he's allowed to do and how how much money he has to spend and. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you saw uh, Jim during the week. David Ornstein was was speaking to BBC Five Live, and he said that the uh, the priorities were a central defender, which I don't think anybody would argue with, and a box to box midfielder. Again, I don't think anybody would argue with that, and I think that tallies in Clive with what you're saying when when you talk about athleticism and people who can run. You know, box to box midfielder. Um, fits that bill they're talking about the lad from PSG Christopher Nkunku but then you know secondary briefs like they might want a wide forward and they might want a left back and they might want uh, a right back and they might want a forward to replace Danny Welbeck there's a lot of mites going on there and the thing that I suppose plays into that is the fact that we potentially only have a a, a budget of £40 million and, and I was told recently that Raul Senyehi was out in the US uh, meeting with with Stan and meeting with Josh, and he came back to London with no clear idea of what our transfer budget was going to be. 
based on the two uh, outcomes, I guess, Champions League football or not Champions League football. There's this this air of uncertainty about what we've got to spend. So, uh, but I don't know. Does it not help? Does it not help? that we don't give that kind of information away. Well, I mean, they're not going to post it on the website and say Arsenal have X amount to spend, but this is kind of what's going on. I mean, you know, it's not it's not that thing. But it is it it does speak to me anyway to um a backroom which has lost its head of recruitment in February and hasn't replaced it. Um we've wasted money in January despite saying January is not the time to buy players. Um I wonder if we could have gone down the leagues maybe and bought a player from a lower league team for what we spent on Dana Suarez, who would have been more used to us uh, in the final six months of the season and going forward for what we spent on him, three and a half or four million pounds, you know. But, you know, how confident are you that we could, or that we can do, Jim, what we say we need to do with, with the money that we have available to us. I mean, it, it, it is going to require, A, some sales, perhaps of players we don't like, or not that we don't like, but we don't necessarily want to sell, and taking a, a good chunk off the wage bill, and we, we all know what the, the obvious ways to do that are. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've all got our utopian wish lists, which probably involves sort of six players leaving and six coming in, but I don't think that's realistic. Uh, I, I don't think you, you rarely see... You know, six established players going in one season, and it's it's too much turmoil and too much money. And so I think, you know, probably some of the players that you and I and everyone else would like to go won't go. But I, I still think um, a lot of them will be shifted on. Yeah, actions speak louder than words. And this, yeah, I think you're right with the whole missile intent. Last summer we did five signings, um, and it felt like a lot, there was a lot of movement going on. This summer we need to do a similar amount. Um, and the proof will be in the pudding. It's only at the end of the summer if you know, will it be clear whether it was the mislintat that was the sort of driver behind some of these great players coming or some of these you know, exciting players coming in, or whether it wasn't. And um, you know, it's, it would be it would be a, a massive shot in the foot if if they didn't uh, capitalise on this summer because it's probably Emery's um, biggest chance he's going to get to to do what he wants to do. And if we don't take the opportunity, if you don't take the opportunity now, then that's probably um, you're not going to get the chance again. Is it? It's not going to happen in January. Mm. So it's it's got to happen. Clive, you know, we we looked at last summer when Arsene Wenger left and Emery came in and they brought in five players and we thought, okay, this is the first step in uh, the rebuilding process. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm looking at this summer and I'm thinking this is a, this is even more difficult. This is an even more difficult summer than last summer. You know, bearing in mind the manager, you know, who'd been there for so many years had just left. And we had this new uh, triumvirate of, of uh, people who were, who were going to run things. It didn't last very long, obviously. But, you know, I look at this summer, uh, just looking at it, Petr Cech is gone. Uh, hopefully with the Europa League winner's medal uh, under his belt. Stefan Licksteiner is going to go. Um, I would say Carl Jenkinson is probably going to go. Aaron Ramsey, as we know, is leaving. You talked about El Nenny as a probable potential departure. We have big, big questions over Mesut Ozil, and we have big, big questions over Henrik Mkhitaryan. Both of them um, are, are, yeah, they're issues that the club has to address, I think, uh, one way or the other. Danny Welbeck is going. 
there are other players in the squad that you could look at and say they need to go. Um, I'm thinking of one central defender in particular. Um, there is, I suppose, a question over some of the other players and what they produce, but, you know, they might be secondary. And when you look at how much has got to be done this summer, it's actually a bit frightening. It is, and, and Jim's right, it has to happen. And I think the contractual state of some of those players are saying to you, yes, it does have to happen. You, you could add Monreal and Koscielny into that. Monreal's a free transfer, I believe, if he doesn't, he, so he could yeah. be gone. And so there is... This is a renewal that should have happened a while ago, but because we are major previous manager overstayed his welcome and kept his friends close to him we're now still clearing up that mess I'm afraid and so of the five signings we had last year I would say that four of them have been a, a decent success and one was the free transfer and he will go and wouldn't and there's no issues there right so yeah. he'll walk away having a year in London enjoying himself in Hampstead and Highgate well done so that now we're going to move on into a different era and and Jim's right this maybe the manager doesn't communicate very well with the fan base but his signings this summer will be his biggest communication because we could argue whether they were his signings last year or were they club stability signings and an eye on the future but this year we know he's in seat we know he is uh, working with Raul we know that what comes in this year will be he will have a big stamp on it. This will that, this will define him, right? What happens this summer will define not just him. Uh, sorry to cut across you. It won't just define him, but it will define Raúl Sanjéhi, who is the man yeah. who is the driving force behind what happens to this football club from a footballing point of view. Absolutely. So this will define the club's identity. Right, so I know that's a bit pending at the moment. It sounds a bit big statement, and maybe it depends on the competition that we go into. But say we're in the Champions League, we are now going to say, okay, we have X amount of funds to spend, and I agree, we don't need to tell everybody how much. But how we build this squad is going to tell everybody what we are. Right, mm. this is the first year of a sole ownership of Stan Kroenke, so no excuses now. You own the shop, now decorate it properly and clean it out properly it's your it's your asset look after it right so so i think that's going to be really important i look at the squad and i look at it in almost three different levels andrew i look at it from a a young core i look at it as, as a, a medium core middle core of what i call them mustafi the shakas and a bamiyang lacazette and I, and I look at the aged core you know lichsteiners kashelny monreal example i think check and I think we don't need to add any more aged players into this group. No. We, we have to decide if which of that young core is really going to be here and how do we surround them and how do we build on that young core. But the real key part is the middle core with the Shaka and Mustafis. They, that, those two, potentially, you could say, haven't been roaring successes. So do we now say to our key top players in... Aubameyang and Lacazette you know at the moment the core behind you is Ozil Mkhitaryan and it's Ramsey's going and we've got Shaka and Mustafi that's the middle core we need to develop that we need to be brave and say to hold on to you and to not ruin and waste your careers of our top top players 
we need to develop that middle core and that's going to cost or you buy young intelligent players with the right core fundamentals tactical flexibility speed intensity to allow the manager to tactically drive us forward with systems and coaching and wait till we can really afford the stars that we need to add to the stars that we actually have and to do that we're going to have to create room in the wage bill and to do that Andrew you know I'm going to say there's two or three people that are (laughs) overpaid that are not quite doing it I don't care how many final entry parties they have my eyes tell me they are not separating from their man they are not threatening people people are easily stopping them they're not consistent for the money that they earn and we need to grow up about that and accept it and move forward and the sooner we do the sooner we can go even further against teams like Liverpool and City and look more competitive because we will not do that with this current group because those players are not going to improve next year. There'll be more backaches coming next year, right? <laughs> and, and that's the truth. And and it's, it's just and that's where we're heading. Yeah. So we have to just accept it. It's coming. Manage it. We have to pay people to go because we've put ourselves in a situation. Pay the money. We may have to hold for another, a bit shorter, longer time till we can get more money in. Pay the money. Let's move forward. And let's get a, a, a younger, more competitive, faster, more physical and technically secure squad that can create a new identity for this team. Because right mm. now, we're a little bit faceless. We need to create a new identity. We're a bit faceless because our, our core pillars are in departure lounge on the way out. Mm. I mean, Jim, it, it feels like... I mean, what, what what sort of gave me hope about the future when we had Sven Mislintat was the idea that he could identify these young, talented players who could come in and grow and develop. And maybe they wouldn't stay at Arsenal their entire careers, but, you know, such was their, their, their quality and their talent that they could have three, four, five good seasons with us and move on. And, and you know, when we all accept as much as it pains us that, you know, we're not a club that's going to be able to go out and spend big money on the biggest players, uh, you know, certainly not until we equalize that wage bill a bit. You know, the, going after young players and building a team around young players um, was the strategy that I thought we were going to go for. I mean, I'm looking at what we've got to do this summer and where we've got to invest. And, you know, if you're talking about spending big money, I think... The, the biggest money we've got to spend this, this summer is on a, a central defender and a central midfielder. And those are areas where we need to invest in genuine quality. And it, it strikes me that we might be about to see a generation from the Arsenal Academy given an opportunity that we haven't seen for quite some time. Because they're the... I guess, the cost-free way of adding to your squad when your transfer budget is potentially as limited as ours is. Yeah, if they're good enough, then, then I'm all for that. Yeah. Um, I think also the thing about buying ready-made players, going back to Clive's point about athleticism, if you look at you know, the players that are really, di- a lot of the players that are dictating you know, the better teams are very young, you know, and... and um, and I think we need, you know, that we need players at that early bracket. Um, and like you say, if they're good enough, so I think, I think, because I'm Maitland Niles, and I could see him playing in midfield. He's athletic and he, he's quick, and I could see that happening. Obviously, you'd need to try it first, but um, I think next season, if, if you suddenly turn around and said, "Yeah, well, we've got Willick and we've got Reese uh, Nelson and we've got Smith Rowe," 
feels a bit early to to rely on them to me. Yeah. But they should be integrated in the squad. Don't get me wrong. It, you know, it, but it, you can't just put them in for the sake of it, and just because you haven't got any money. I mean, you could. But I, I, I still feel that that you could. You're you need to go for young young players, but players with a bit more experience as well. So I think you've just got to get the balance right. Clive, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you mentioned the academy because if you didn't, you'd have got some posts, mate. I'll be honest with you, because <laughs> there are there are some some bright players, but it's so difficult. I mean, yeah. a year or so ago, I'd I'd already christened Mavropanos as Carnivaro, right? And, and now he can't run more than half a game <laughs> without pulling his groin, and um, and so that's a classic example. And you know, I, I particularly, I go over top and young players all the time. I know. But I, I, I know. <laughs> I, I will say, I will say that, um, even though I'm going to do it again right now, um, I will say that this group we do have are very interesting. Yes, you know? I agree. I agree. They are very interesting. And what they do have is a level of skill, personality and speed. So physically, they can cope. Now, pressure-wise and quality-wise, and and not playing with two hundred, but you know, sixty thousand—that's not so easy, right? And delivering under pressure. I mean, look what Arsenal fans do to Alex Iwobi when he has a bad game, and he's twenty-three now, right? And so when he has a bad game, we all we all get into him, right? So you got to have a level of um, mental toughness to be able to deal with that. You know, Mate Niles has a bad game. We soon get into him, but I I think he's a huge talent. And uh, every time I see these England squads being named, I just ask myself, well, does he not get a look in anywhere in that squad? You know, um, we're we're picking the players who are injured to go into that squad. And I look at him and I think, you know what, you, you've got to be getting closer to that level where you need to show a bit more personality playing for Arsenal, then you can get closer to the top, top level. That's only around the corner. I do, I am excited about this group. Amici, Saka, Willock, Smith Rowe, if he can stay fit, I think he should stay where he is. Reese Nelson, another one that's coming. There are there's a lot of excitement within the club about this group and I think it will happen. Will it happen in September, August next year? Maybe for one or two. But I think we need to build this group really cleverly, make sure they get minutes out on loan, make sure they're building themselves first team experience. And the ones that stay Let's make sure they get proper minutes. Let's not have only any take their minutes. Let's make sure they get proper minutes because they are the right level and they've had integration. And I think it'll be wrong of us not to create a pathway for these players. And I, so yeah, I'm done it again. I'm not gone overexcited on them, <laughs> but I will say the speed and technique of these players allow them to look good. I mean, we saw Willock play in a semi-testimonial game the other day and he looked okay, didn't he? He looked okay. And I think that's a great sign for the future. Yeah, I mean, I think there is, I think you're right to say that there is a group that's that's interesting and we've had young players who come through before and they've been hyped up and we expect a lot from them. Um, you know, you go back as far as Bentner and Lupoli, we, you know, when they were tearing it up at youth level and everyone thought Lupoli would be the guy to, you know, to, to score all the goals for Arsenal and he ended up playing in whatever, the Italian third division, wherever it was, you know, via Derby County or what have you. But, you know, I, I also think, Jim, that there there is an element of timing and the circumstances being right for young players to make a breakthrough. So if you're a young player 
trying to get into Arsene Wenger's team in 2007, 2008, or whenever it might have been, it's a lot more difficult. And we're in a situation now where we are at this sort of rebuilding phase. We are going to have to let a lot of people go. A lot of people are going anyway. Um, there are players in the squad who need to go. That we th- This sort of turnover almost demands that the, the gap is filled somehow. You know, if you create a void, you've got to fill it with something. And if you don't have the money to fill it with signings, there's only one other option. So it feels to me just a little bit like maybe the timing is right for a lot of these young players to come and make the grade or, or at least be given the opportunity to show what they can do as opposed to previous seasons where you go, well, he looks a really good young player, but is he going to play ahead of Cesc Fabregas or Thierry Henry or Lauren Koscielny or Per Mertesacker or whoever it might be? You know, the door has to open for you. And I, it feels like there's going to be a lot of doors open this year. Yeah, I hope so. And, and also, uh, you know, given that um, we keep hearing that we need to be a bit more a bit cleverer in the way we buy and sell players, then it's also a potential other revenue stream in the future. If you play these players a bit and suddenly their value goes up, if they're not quite the pay, you know, the, 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 they're not quite right for one reason or another, you can get some money for them. Um, so there is that as well. But I think necessity will bring them through, and that would be massively exciting. Because I think one of the re- one of the great things about being a fan is watching people, you know, players who who uh, have grown up with the club coming through. It's really exciting. But again, again you go, they have to be good enough still. Um, I agree with you that if, if you had a sort of 2004 era team and then they, they wouldn't get in, even if they were really good, I, I totally get that. But, um, but they've still got to be good enough because Emery knows full well that if, if we don't get Champions League this year, and not, not just him, I'm sure that I'm sure Conkey wants it to, um, not that we know, but I'm sure he does, then he can't just kind of freestyle it a bit just to get new players on board next year. He knows he's got to achieve it. And so that will, you know, the, the hard reality of it will, will always come into play as well. So it is about getting that balance right. Can we have five or six of those players in our squad and give them some minutes? Brilliant. I'm, I'm really all over that. But um, to rely on them uh, when there are other pressures at stake, financial pressures, um, you know, all sorts of things, then, you know, it's, prob- it's possibly uh, asking a bit too much. Yeah, no, I... I- I sort of agree with that. Well, I kind of mostly agree with that, but also I've seen what we've done in the transfer market over the years to try and fill these gaps, and, and it hasn't always worked. So, you know, there's a part of me goes, well, just fuck it, try something, try something different. Uh, Clive, just final thought to you on this? Yeah, I think it's something that we've discussed before, myself and Tim on, on the podcast, and I think we have to decide how we want to use these younger players. I think if we're going to use them as, um, you remember the Manchester United team, they used to have Wes Brown, John O'Shea and, and Darren Fletcher. And they would play, you know, Fletcher would play anywhere across the midfield. Mm. And John O'Shea would go into midfield and any full back and centre back. And, and same for Wes Brown, he would drop into full back or centre back. And they would plug and play these players in, you know, core players from the youth team. And they're sitting there with six or seven Premier League medals under their pillows, right? So, and then and none of them were super superstars, but they were absolutely critical to that squad. And I think we've done that with Maitland Niles, and I think we can do that with others. I mean, you know, Saka, for example, looks like a very attacking winger playing for the youth teams, but he's also played left wing back and left back for the youth teams. So, like Ashley Cole, you never know, he could be a left back one day, quite easily. 
right? So, and that's how you can develop when you get your opportunity in the first team. I think maybe to use these players as bench players, as multi-positional players that can cover gaps in your squad, which allows you to buy core players. And if you keep some of the older ones around, just to make sure, as insurance policies, like Socrates, obviously Aubameyang and Lacazette, to make sure while we're developing this squad, we can still make sure that we can stop goals, that we can score goals. And I think that's really, really key and how we support them with the right type of players and give them leadership roles. So the five captains we had last year, let's, let's go <laughs> through them, right? Let's go through them. And maybe we need a new set. Yeah. Right? And um, I, I think the core, the core leaders of the group now are our two forwards, potentially. They are... They control the identity of the team. They control the the leadership of the team. They're the ones that the fans sing about, talk about. And there's a new group developing. Right? It's going to be so interesting to see how we add to that. And I think that's going to be the core the core thing in the summer I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it is. I, I think because we're so in the dark about so many things, it's going to be an absolutely fascinating summer and we all go into it as we always do with great optimism and and hope that we can come out at the other side uh, having done amazing business Uh, but I don't think whatever happens uh, it's going to be boring so uh, it's all ahead of us I was going to talk a little bit about the Europa League final but you know it's a good uh, week and a half away um, and I might save that for another podcast so uh, for now we'll leave it there but uh, gents a pleasure to talk to you and hopefully everyone's enjoyed this Clive uh, as ever uh, thank you for being here Thank you very much. And Jim, thank you very much indeed. No, thank you. Cheers, guys. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you very much indeed to Jim, the man from East Lower. He's on Twitter at East Lower and Clive. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. And those of you who listen to the Arsenal Vision podcast will, of course, hear the dulcet tones of Clive on that particular podcast too. Right. This is normally the bit of the show where we talk about the game coming up this weekend. But of course, there is no game this weekend. And there is no game next weekend. And there is no game the weekend after. But... In the middle of that, there is a game, of course, the uh, the Europa League final. And then there's no game for ages and ages until Arsenal go on their tour of the U.S. to play in the International Champions Cup, the cup that all the champions 
of preseason want to win. I will be going over actually to the U.S. Uh, to follow the team around, not like a groupie, but just to sort of do work and go to the games and do some podcasts and do some some various stuff over there. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, that's a bit later on this summer, though. I'll give you more details of what's going on uh, closer to the time. What else can we talk about? I don't know what else there is we can talk about from a footballing slash Arsenal point of view that we haven't already covered on this particular episode. So we might just leave it there. I am going to do my very best to continue the Arsecast every Friday. Uh, you know, it used to be a thing that during the summer, the Arsecast would go into sort of podcast hibernation, like a big audio bear sleeping inside a hollow tree waiting for preseason or at least the new season to uh, start again so we could get it all going. But that's, that's kind of the past. Things have changed. People want the podcasts. People want their podcasts. So uh, I will do my very best to make sure that there is a podcast every Friday. Uh, I don't quite know what we're going to talk about, but hopefully all the stuff we've got to do this summer in terms of players coming, players going, going here, going there, selling this guy, not selling that guy. Why haven't we sold that guy? Why haven't we sold him yet? Come on! getting overexcited already but you know what i mean there should be plenty to keep us going and if not you know we'll just make some shit up so uh, as ever thank you very much indeed for listening thank you uh, for being with us throughout another season this one isn't quite over yet because of uh, the Europa League final, so uh, plenty to keep us going over over the next couple of weeks. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arsecast Extra talking about, you know, whatever. Whatever's out there, we'll be talking about it and, of course, taking your questions. Uh, so until then, have yourselves a great Arsenal-free weekend. Um, and don't eat any lionfish. That's my... Final piece of advice. It's good advice. Take it on board. And if you do eat a lionfish and you die because they're poisonous, don't come running to me because I'll say, told you so. And also, get the fuck out of here, zombie, because you'd be dead. Until the next one, take it easy. Cheers. Bye bye. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. And breaking news right now, UEFA have announced the destination for the Europa League final in 2021. There was much speculation about where it's going to take place. Some of the frontrunners over the last few weeks, out of Mongolia, that bit in the middle of Australia that simply does not support human life, and Tullamore. But today, UEFA have announced the game will be taking place in hell 
with us to uh, give some reaction from the winning bid. Unfortunately, Satan himself can't be here, but his spokesperson is Neil Trashton. Neil, you must be delighted. Yeah, yeah, of course, uh, Neil Trashton here. You know, we, uh, it's a great day for football in hell, and we've, uh, we've worked very hard to, to make this happen. The facilities down here are absolutely perfect. And uh, I'm sure that everybody who makes the trip is going to have a, a fantastic time. It's going to be a, a feast of football. Neil, isn't there the slight issue, though, that everybody who makes that trip is going to burn in the fiery depths of the underworld for all eternity? Yeah, hi, hi. Neil Trashton here. It is going to be a fantastic day. The weather's going to be absolutely scorching. And uh, we're confident that anybody who comes will say this is the best Europa League final they've ever been at and will ever be at. And that's, you know, not simply because they'll all be dead. It's, it's definitely not that. Thank you very much indeed to Neil Trashton. A UEFA spokesperson has told us that they did not receive a single penny from Beelzebub himself to secure the rights of the game, absolutely denying any possibility of corruption. And who are we here working for Rupert Murdoch to cast judgment? We're going to take a short break. When we come back, Arsenal boss Unai Emery tells us why, despite all the various times of the day... Evening is his favourite. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 